You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Um, I know we've got some visitors that are here. My name's Justin Christopher. I serve as the associate pastor here at Midtown. And so I uh, just wanted to say welcome, particularly if you're visiting. Given this venue, I know we've got some people visiting from out of state, like Jake said earlier and stuff. So that's pretty fun. Um, glad that you guys have joined us. And for those that are visiting here from Austin, look forward to the day when we can actually worship with you side by side uh, whenever God allows that time to be. Uh, this morning, we're kicking off a new series uh, teaching on wisdom. Uh, we're calling it Timeless Wisdom for New Normal, right? We're living in this new normal. We have been for several weeks now, right? And the new normal even seems to change every single day because things are changing quickly all around us. Uh, circumstances are changing quickly, but we believe that there's some timeless truths, some wisdom that never changes. And thought that for this next few weeks, three weeks, in fact, we're going to do just a couple series or this short series on how to find wisdom and to cling to the things that are timeless in these very changing uh, times. So this morning, we're actually going to talk about uh, how to wait wisely. Specifically, we're going to speak to what the Bible calls uh, waiting on the Lord. Maybe you've heard that phrase before. It's a pretty common phrase throughout scripture. Sometimes it's a command that we wait on the Lord, but actually more commonly, it seems like to be a description. It's, it's t- kind of talking about the way that someone's relating to God in a difficult time. It's called waiting on the Lord. It's really like a posture we take in our relationship with God. And so in today's world, there's lots of waiting, right? <laughs> we're, all, we're all waiting for plenty of things right now, whether we're waiting to get out of the house or waiting to get back to work. I know many in our church are waiting to get work and find a job. I know we all are probably waiting to see, to hug, uh, to touch family and friends that we've not been able to in many weeks now. We're waiting to see things get back to normal. We're waiting to get our hair cut, or maybe we're waiting to get our hair colored, if that be the case. Uh, Mostly, we're all waiting uh, for the end of this pandemic. We want a vaccine. We want to see this period end. So it's a big time of waiting, but let's talk about what it means to wait on the Lord because there's a kind of a worldly way of waiting that I'll talk about. And then we're gonna talk about how the waiting on the Lord is much different. I hope to kind of draw out that distinction to a way that we, in our human nature, choose to wait versus the way the scripture describes actually waiting on the Lord. And to do that, we're gonna go to a pretty uh, popular, famous uh, scripture in Isaiah 40. I'm gonna bounce around quite a bit for different parts of it. In fact, we're gonna begin at the end, the last two verses uh, have this great promise that speaks about waiting on the Lord. Verse 30 and 31, you can see there on your screen. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. Right away, you see there a pretty awesome promise. For those that wait on the Lord, they're promised that God's going to give you renewed strength. Okay, this metaphor of being able to fly away like a, like a soaring bird, to have the weight lifted, that our strength would be renewed. We wouldn't be weary and weak. But it comes to those who actually choose to wait on the Lord. That's the condition uh, to this wonderful promise. And so it bears the question, like, what does it mean to actually wait on the Lord then? Uh, the Hebrew word that's used there for the word wait is a word kavah. And it means a little bit more than what we think about when we think about wait. We think like just sitting and twiddling our thumbs. But the Hebrew word really means more like to hope or to look for, 
or to have some expectation of something happening. And so waiting on the Lord means that we're actually not just sitting there twirling our thumbs. The, the waiting is actually attached to something. It's attached to God or it's attached to something that God has said in his word. And so the idea of waiting in the Lord means that we're waiting, holding on to God for something. We're waiting on him to do something. It's very different from the way that we normally tend to think of waiting, right? Waiting, and in, in, I've noticed in just in my human experience, that waiting can either take me one of two ways and based on our personalities probably, and maybe even based on some brokenness in each of our lives, we may lean one way or the other. But let me talk to you about two ways that we kind of wait normally in the world. There's what I call waiting passively. We could call it passivity. And that's when the time of waiting, when you're thinking to yourself, there's nothing I can do. And so that kind of waiting, you just kind of throw up your hands and you say, well, there's nothing I can do. What will be will be. I'll just sit here passively. Maybe I'll try to find things to entertain myself to try to pass the time. I'm just waiting passively. There's another kind of a worldly waiting, and that's waiting actively. And that's where I think you say there's something that I can do. And so that kind of waiting, what you do is you try in your own strength to get what you're waiting for. So you kind of double down, you work harder, you try to manipulate or do something to try to change your circumstances so that you can get what you've been waiting for. And I think the biblical way of waiting is much different than those two ways. But before we go there, can you, can you relate to that? Could you be honest enough with maybe how this waiting period has been for you to say, which kind of waiting have you been doing? Are you kind of more of a passive waiter right now that you just kind of think there's nothing you can do, so you're just going to try to pass time somehow or entertain yourselves? Or, or maybe you're more prone like me. I tend to be the active waiter, so I want to find a way to get, get out of it. Like I want to try to make something happen for myself and get what I want or what I've been waiting for. Well, whichever one you are, um, or maybe you're ambidextrous, <laughs> depending on what you're waiting for, you can act and wait differently. I'm sure that's true of all of us. But what we want to talk about with waiting with, for the Lord, waiting on the Lord is much different than the way we wait in a worldly way. It's not passive. It's not active. But you'll see here what it's called to do is waiting on the Lord says there's something that God can do. So it's not, there's nothing that I can do. There's not, there's something that I can do. It's saying, no, there's something that God can do. And I believe that waiting on the Lord really requires these three elements, an element of surrender, which means really acknowledging that God's in control and you're not. That's the very first step. Second step of waiting is prayer. Asking God for the deliverance, praying for what, you, what you're waiting for, particularly praying his promises. And then finally, trust, which is really just resting in God's power, his love, and in his timing. So we're going to talk real briefly about each of those three things. First, we'll start with surrender. Uh, waiting on the Lord really begins in admitting that he is God and that you're not. Acknowledging that the circumstances are out of your control, but they're very much firmly in God's sovereign control. In fact, if you were to read Isaiah 40, we've got that you know, promise at the end, but if you were to read Isaiah 40, almost all of the chapter, God is speaking through Isaiah, talking about how great he is how trustworthy he is now, sovereign and in control he is. And rather than put the slides up here, I just want you to close your eyes or you can just listen here. This is much of what you read in Isaiah 40. Isaiah speaking, God speaking through Isaiah this way. Who has measured the, wa the waters in the hollow of his hand or with his breath of his hand marked out the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a, in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in the balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord, the instruction of the Lord? Who is his counselor? To whom did the Lord consult? Who enlightened him? Who taught him the right way? Was it, uh, who was he that taught, the knowledge, taught him knowledge and showed him how to understand? 
Surely the nations are like a drop in the bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were dust. Before him, the nations are nothing. They are regarded as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told to you? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and the people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and he spreads them out like a tent for them to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces rulers of the world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground and then he blows them all and they wither and the whirlwind sweep them, sweeps them away like chaff. See what Isaiah is saying there? God is speaking through Isaiah and trying to capture our attention to see how sovereign God is. God is completely in control and we are not. We need to surrender and admit that he is God and he's in control. Who can we compare God to? It says that he created all the earth. Isaiah kind of mocks there like who, who can actually instruct God? Who can give God wisdom? Who can tell God what is what? No one can. It says he sits enthroned above all the earth. He can do whatever he wants to all rulers, all nations. They're all firmly in his hand. And not only that, he knows the end from the beginning. No sooner is something sown than it grows and it withers because God knows the beginning from the end. And so there's nothing that he doesn't already know. His timing is vastly different than ours. And so if you were to read Isaiah 40, you would see it would just be littered with that kind of questioning and trying to point to how sovereign and control God is, trying to get the reader to understand that really to wait on the Lord, part of that just means to surrender. In fact, if we pick up the verses just before that great promise that we read, we're going to see the line of reasoning lead right into that promise in verse 25. To whom then will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who's created all these? He brings out the starry host one by one and calls them forth each by name. Because of his great power and his mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Isn't that wild? I actually read this week that we, uh, in January, we actually discovered a new planet, <laughs> something that really is about the size of Earth. And we're like still discovering planets and discovering stars. And here, God, who knows everything, has named them all. He has them all named. This is the God that's in control, and we're not. He goes on to continue in verse 27. He says, why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not, he, he will not grow tired and weary. His understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. God is unfathomable in his nature. But that should not lead us to believe that because he's so big and he knows each of the stars by name that he does not know equally our name. Instead, what we're to believe is because God knows each star by name, that he knows us by name, and he knows what we've been waiting for. He knows how we're feeling. He knows where we're struggling, and he draws near to us. And he's the one that doesn't grow tired and weary. We're the ones that go tired and weary and actually need him for strength. So when we wait upon the Lord, we're starting by admitting that he is God and we're dependent. We're dependent. We're dependent on him. Just a personal story from my life where this actually really came home to me in a, in a real heavy way. Um, most of y'all know that before I came on staff at Midtown, I did campus ministry at the University of Texas for, for 20 years. And one of the things that we did is we helped unite the whole Christian community at UT. So we had about 60 different churches and college ministries all working together 
mainly through a United Prayer Movement and a United Mission Movement. It's really beautiful to see the whole body of Christ working like that. And for years, probably about since about 2000, I had really been wanting to see God provide for us a campus house of prayer, meaning a place on campus that all the ministries could share so that we could all uh, pray together 24-7, if God willing, but as many hours as we could, the whole body of Christ could pray. Obviously something really that I would think that God would like, and I'd been praying for it and asking for it. In 2001, we actually started doing weeks of 24-7 prayer, and part of my vision was maybe like doing it for a week. Maybe students and pastors there would get excited about it and think about that they would want to do it full-time. But every year, I would try to ask them questions and try to get the students and try to ask the ministers, like, hey, could we do this? Could we do this? And every time, they just weren't interested. And I began to get really discouraged. Like, I just felt like this is something that God would want, and why is he not coming through with it? And I started to try to manipulate the situations. I was being an active waiter. I was actively waiting by thinking there was something that I could do about it. And after years of trying to do that, I really just felt like God deeply convict me and say, you are not waiting on the Lord. You need to stop trying to make this happen. You need to learn to surrender to my control and my timing. Real specifically that year, it was near, near Easter. And I felt like God told me to do two things, to practice uh, waiting on him. One was to not talk about the house of prayer with anyone. Just shut my mouth. Don't say anything. Second thing I felt like he told me to do was to prayer walk the campus, just one hour a day during, during all the days of Lent, just to prayer walk. And I was only to talk about the house of prayer to God only, not to any other human being. And so that year, um, I did that. I felt like it was what I was supposed to do. And so I prayer walked every, every day during Lent for an hour, kept my vow to say nothing, and then three really wild things happened during that season of Lent that year. One was uh, over spring break, there were a group of students who kind of organized their own local mission trip. So they kind of did their own mission trip in Austin. And part of it included morning prayer every single day. And they invited me to join them in morning prayer. And so throughout the week, when I joined them in morning prayer, they just started getting excited about a house of prayer and they just started praying for it. And the last day, they were just really, really praying for it. And afterward, they told me like, Justin, you think we could do this? Can we get a house of prayer? And I just had to just say, stay silent. <laughs> I couldn't answer their questions. Second thing that happened was uh, we did do our res week, a week kind of, of Easter week when all the Christian ministries worked together. We did do 24-7 prayer that week. But we had, look, a little clipboard in the, in the little house of prayer for that one week that said, I would like to have a permanent house of prayer. Name, email, phone number. We did that for years, and we'd get like four or five people would sign it. So definitely not enough to get something like this started. That year, 72 people signed that without any prompting, it was just signed. And then the day after Easter, when I'm allowed to break my vow of silence, I get a call uh, from, a, from another college pastor who had a building on campus that they were just about to leave. And he called me and said, hey, Justin, I'm leaving this building. I wanted to see, do you think this would be something that we could have for like a, a house of prayer? You see what happened? I spent about 50 days with my mouth shut <laughs> talking to people, but my mouth open talking to God. And he provided the house of prayer. Two months later, we had a lease signed. And we had that house of prayer for more than 10 years. Amazing what can happen when we surrender and, and acknowledge that God's in control. And then we come to him in prayer, which is what the next point is. We need to come to him in prayer as part of surrender as well. Prayer is when we, we refuse passive waiting. So we don't think there's nothing that, that I can do. Nor is it active waiting, thinking there's something that I can do. But prayer is when we actually come to God and we say, God, there's something that you can do. And I'm going to come to you because I think that you can do something. 
And I'm going to ask you to give me what I've been waiting for because you're the only one who can do it. That's what prayer is. In fact, prayer uh, often, particularly in the Old Testament, is actually simultaneous with the word wait. You'll see that a lot where that just talks about people waiting on the Lord. That just meant that they were, they were seeking God. They were praying. They were asking him for the things that they were waiting for. All prayer is welcomed. God wants us to come to him with all of our desires, all of the things we're waiting for, all of our needs, all of our anxieties. He invites us to come and present them to him because he's the one that can do something. But there's a very special kind of prayer, and I love that the, the prayer that Barry prayed and Suzanne's testimony because there's a certain kind of prayer that even is better uh, equated with this idea of waiting, and that's the kind of prayer where you're actually waiting and you're praying the promises of God, where you've got something that you're waiting for and you're searching the scriptures that has something you can hold on to, something about the nature of God or a promise of God that you cling to and say, this is the kind of waiting that I'm going to do. It'd be real similar to if you were in the posture right now where you're actually needing God's provision. If you're needing God's provision, you might cling to the promise of Philippians 4, 19. that says, my God will meet all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And so you come to God and you tell him what you're waiting for. And you pray and say, I'm clinging to this promise, God. You said you'd provide my needs. I'm waiting on you to do it. Or perhaps you're waiting on some spiritual breakthrough in your life. You've got some hang up or some issue in your life where you just would really like to see God change your, your heart and transform you. Maybe you'd go to him and you'd cling on to 2 Corinthians 5.17. that says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new, creature, new, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so you'd go to God and say, God, I want to see you bring transformation in my life in this area. I'm trusting you said that I would be a new creation and you're clinging to it. You're waiting on God to make that change. Or maybe you're waiting on a loved one to put their faith in Jesus. Or maybe you have a wandering uh, child who's, who you want to come back to follow Jesus. You might... Look to 1 Timothy 2.4 that says, God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And you, you hold that dear to your heart as you intercede and pray for your friends to follow Jesus with you. Or perhaps like we're all waiting for now, like a breakthrough in circumstances, like this pandemic, we could hold the 1 Peter 5.10 that says, and the God of grace who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, after you've suffered a little while, himself will make you strong, firm, and steadfast. So you just cling, asking for, asking for him to be the one that renews, that, that heals you, brings that restoration. That's the idea of waiting. It's active praying, praying and trusting that God would do what, you, what, what you've been waiting for. But there's a third and final part of waiting. Perhaps the hardest part, well, arguably surrender is the hardest part, but here's another hard part. It finally means trusting. It means that now you're going to finally trust the Lord. You're, you're going to surrender by admitting that God's in control and you're not. You're going to come boldly with your prayers, asking him for what you're waiting for. But then after that, you're just going to trust that God's going to respond to your prayers as he sees best. We trust that he's very powerful, that he can do what we ask. We trust that he's loving, that he loves us and hears our prayers. But then we also trust that God's timing is different from ours. And we trust him to take what we've prayed and do what's best in his own timing. If we go back to Isaiah, you'll see the last verses here before the promise that we looked at at the start. It says, the Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. So you see right there, God is the creator of the earth. He's very powerful. He can do what we've done. We're the ones that are weak. And then again, to our promise in these last two verses, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. 
but those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. I want to draw your attention to that part where it just says that he's unfathomable. Like no one can understand all of God's ways, but we trust that he's powerful and that he's loving. And then what we can't understand about God's timing, we just trust it to him. We trust that God, what we're waiting for, will provide it when we need it. But then we also, while we're trusting that he'll provide it when we need it, he's going to give us strength, renew our strength to keep waiting. That's what happens when we wait on God and we trust him. This trust uh, that we have, the reason that we can trust him is because we're confident that he loves us and knows us. There's one verse earlier in Isaiah 40 that I'd like to close with, which really tells about the way that God loves us. He's both sovereign and loving at the same time. In verse 10, it says, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power, and he rules with a mighty arm. See, the reward is with him as recompense accompanies him. So you see there the sovereignty, the power of God. But I love verse 11. But he tends to the flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he cares for them, carries them close to his heart. He gently leads them that have young. So God's both sovereign and powerful. He can answer our prayers and we can trust that he loves us because he treats us like little lambs. He holds us close to his heart. And because we know those things, we can present our request to him, what we're waiting for, but then just trust him to do what he needs to do in his own timing. He knows us and he sees us. He knows what we're waiting for and he knows what's best for us because we're close to his heart. I'd like to invite you in the strange time that we're living in to practice waiting on the Lord. Don't wait passively as if you can do nothing. Don't wait actively as if you can do something in your own strength, but wait on the Lord. Be persistent in prayer and trust him with the results. That's what it looks like to wait on the Lord. Let me close us in prayer. I'd invite this to be kind of an active prayer, actually. So I'm going to give you a little moment to pause and pray your own prayer silently. Think first about something that you're waiting for. God, we surrender that to you. Whatever it is we're waiting for, God, we surrender and acknowledge that you are in control and we're not. And now pray for what you're waiting for. Ask God, ask God to give you what you're waiting for. If you can, think of a promise and, and claim the promise that, that gives you hope to, to believe that God would give you what you're waiting for. So God, we do pray. We pray specifically in this case for this pandemic to end. Would you mobilize the, the scientists and do the work to, to give us a vaccine Give us wisdom to know uh, how to act and respond so not to increase the spread. Carry us through this time and re-strengthen us. And I finally, God, we just say that we trust you. Whatever it is we're waiting for, we've presented it and we trust you with it and your timing. Renew our strength that we could walk and not be weary and run and not be faint. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.